0: I'm not sure how a low-life loser like me has pulled this off, but today it's two OGs and the MC. That's right, two bass fishing Hall of Fame inductees, the one and only Trip Weldon and Bob Cobb. That's right, Trip Weldon and Bob Cobb on today's show. Banger. <laughs> Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Happy hump day. I don't know what time you're listening to that, so I wanted to cover all my bases. I am Dave Mercer, and this is Mercer, an awkwardly honest fishing podcast. Sure, there's a lot of fishing podcasts in the world, but this is another one, and we appreciate you listening to it. Um, I don't know a lot about podcasts, but I do know that right now is the time where I'm supposed to sell you some erectile dysfunction pills or some hair care products or something like that. And I also know nobody likes that part. So let's just jump right past that and get into our incredible guests here this week. If you bass fish, if you're a Bassmaster fan, if you're a tournament fan, you're going to love this show. And the most important thing about the future is respecting the past and the builders of our sport. And that's one of the coolest things about my job at Bass. I get to work with some of those builders. I get to have personal relationships with them. And this first guest is a guy who I worked with for over a decade. And we are the weirdest team when you think about it. I mean, he's a little guy, I'm a big guy. He's a quiet guy, I'm a loud guy. He says so much by using so few words while i use all the words and say all basically nothing but man i got the utmost respect for our first guest here this week for for both our guests really i mean look at me painting myself in a corner there but i have the utmost respect for our first for all our guests i have the utmost respect for all our guests especially our first <sighs> That's really not good. I'm about to piss off Bob Cobb and, and trip all at once, which is basically how I kind of do things. But, man, what a dude this guy is, I mean, I've seen him make some of the toughest. I've seen a lot of sides of him, let's just say that way. I mean, you spend that much time with somebody, you see all sorts of sides, all moods, all different situations going on in our lives. But But I've seen him make some of the toughest decisions in the history of our sport. And I've also seen him roll up, a cloth with a bunch of tiny little ice cubes in it and bring it up to me so I could pat it on my brow because I'm about to pass out in the Bassmaster Classic stage so uh, you know I've seen all sides of them I respect them I love them and I'm tired of answering one question every single event people come up to me and they're like do you miss Trip?" well yes of course you miss Trip. so get them on the phone Tripper, I guess, I mean, the best way to start this is, well, you know, you don't realize what you have till it's gone. And I'll be honest, me and you, you know, we never had any stage meetings where we were like, okay, when you need to speed up, you're going to give me this symbol or that symbol. But man, now that you're not there, I realize just how much I miss you because because we did always just communicate. It was just such a simple, you know, without ever talking, it just evolved over time. So do you at all miss me trip?
1: Certainly I miss you but you know we did we had a I think a neat rapport and I think it comes from our fishing background certainly fishing tournaments and being around tournaments and, and uh, we just kind of fed off of each other and we I knew what to say or you knew what to say or you knew what to ask and uh, I knew how to chime in so no it was a great connection.
0: Great connection, but let me tell you about Greatness. Greatness is somebody who is a first ballot Bass Fishing Hall of Fame inductee. It just got announced a few weeks ago. Congratulations, Trip. You know, uh, I mean, that's got to be a surreal call, no?
1: Absolutely, Dave. First of all, I feel like I'm talking to a future Hall of Famer in yourself, but, but no, it is quite an honor. I was thinking about it growing up, being a sports fan of Played ball all my life. My, you know, all the Cincinnati Reds, the big red machine. They were my heroes. Yeah. In basketball, it was the Celtics, Bill Russell, John Havlicek, later Larry Bird, and in football, obviously anybody connected to Alabama football. Uh, but also had another set of heroes: Roland Martin, Bill Dance, uh, Rick Clunn, and people like that. And uh, I, I never forget going to West Point Lake in the in the seventies with a buddy. And, uh, I couldn't wait to, to see Roland bill dance. And of course, Rick clunk was there at that tournament and still, still going strong. And, uh, Ray Scott and people like that. So it's very humbling. It's, uh, quite an honor. And I, and I tell people, I, I, I get a lot of congratulatory texts and phone calls and stuff. And I just say, you know, it's, it is really indeed an honor and, uh, Helen severe, you know, I could, the list goes on and on Bob Cobb, uh, people that that I've had not only the honor of knowing, but the pleasure of working with these people, you know? So, and people, you know, and then watching people like KVD and, and folks like that come up uh, through the ranks and be the people that the icons in this in, industry that they are today is it's very humbling, but indeed quite an honor.
0: Did you ever... I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I got to ask it. Did you ever think you were working on a hall of fame career? You know what I mean? Like on a Tuesday (laughs) average day in your life, did you ever feel like, man, I am the tournament director of bass. and I'm working on my hall of fame resume.
1: No, you know, Harold Sharp, uh, the late Harold Sharp's a hall of famer. And I think Dewey Kendrick should be, uh, I guess in my latter years and when people started reminding me that, you know, I was, okay, now on this classic, your tournament director for the, uh, your, your tenure is the longest uh, tournament director in the history yeah. of past. So uh, it crosses your mind, you know, and, and uh, I'd, I'd be, be lying if I said it didn't cross your mind. But whether I got there or not, you know, I had a great run. And so to cap it off with this is, again, truly an
0: honor. I watched the Ike live that you did and uh, to hear Mike Iaconelli, who arguably is the people. If there was a hero and a villain and you guys were playing each other, you guys would be adversaries at certain times in your career or people would presume that. But when I watched Mike Iaconelli take a moment out of the show, look straight in the camera say, Trip, I want you to, I want to say thank you. Thank you for, being a great tournament director my entire career. What does that feel like? And what, and what does that mean to you?
1: Well, it's very gratifying. And, you know, Mike, what it is, I mean, he's a lighting rod, uh, to, you know, but he he knows that, but, but he's a competitor and, and I hope people understand what, how, how fierce of a competitor Mike Iconelli is, uh, and I respect him so much, uh, not only as a competitor, but as a, as the man he is, the family man. Yeah. And then and as we talked about on that podcast, Dave, I've, I've watched Mike be the last guy standing signing autographs maybe an hour after everybody else is gone. And he would stand there, especially for kids, yeah, until the last person on an autograph uh, got that autograph. And so I think that – that means so much uh, in today's world. And, and you know, it, it's very easily easy to turn your back and walk away. And I never s- saw him do that. So, uh, no, it was, it was again humbling to hear him say those things. But uh, as, as we talked about, you never make things personal. And uh, Mike and I had dealings uh, through the years, uh, but they weren't personal. And, and at the end of the day, I think we're great friends.
0: Well, was he the, I mean, I guess uh, teachers used to refer to me, Trip, as a challenging student. <laughs> uh, what, would you, and, and and I mean, the nice thing about a challenging student is, is if you figure it out, I mean, maybe it pays off somewhere. What was Ikenelli challenging or are they all the same? I
1: think, uh, He was challenging, but a lot of them are challenging.
0: They're competitors,
1: you know, and you're a referee. So um, I could look back over 30 years and probably have a long list of of challenging people. So uh, I don't know that he was more so than anyone else. But, you know, in, in, in today's world and as time evolves, it's much more visible things you do with, social media and the internet and live streaming and all that stuff. So it becomes a a lot more highly visible in in the latter years of my run.
0: One of the cool things about people that have interesting or different jobs, like we are lucky enough to have, uh, is... I find myself some of the weirdest moments, the moments that are in my head, where I'm like, wow, that was like, did that really just happen? Have I been a part of this? It's its not always the moments that people would think, you know what I mean? It's the the obvious, somebody stand on the classic stage and looking around and yeah, of course you think, am I really part of this? But, but I'm sure you had, I mean, there had to be moments where you were like, wow, is this, is this my life? You know, and not that it was easy, but you know what I'm saying? Where you're like, wow, I am the tournament director at Bass.
1: <laughs> I'm sure, that, you know, there are a lot of wild moments. Uh, I think standing on stage, the classic stage with Kim Bain Moore weighing in was yeah. a wild moment. It was really cool for our sport. And, uh, and I will share that Bass got a lot of flack uh, for that. They were anglers that did not want, her in that classic that, you know, that was shaking fingers in my face, which it was a Bass decision. It wasn't a trip welding decision. And, uh, but as I explained to them, our, the classic qualifications have always reached across all platforms at Bass. Yeah. And so that, that was a cool moment. Uh, Oh golly, Dave, I don't know. Uh, you know, these questions I get, I have to dig back into my memory bank, but, um, I don't
0: know. And to be clear on that that one, just for anybody, I mean, the the reason that people were upset is just because Kim qualified through the Ladies Bass Tour at the time. And your defense was that the Bass Nation qualifies it. You know, all the different different wings of bass qualify uh, for the Classic. And uh, I mean, I, I think a lot of those things, you know, I mean, passion is somebody not wanting somebody in that event that they're just expressing their passion, whether they're right or wrong. Um, it's the one thing that I've really appreciated about you. You have an incredible ability to, to, uh, the exact opposite of me. I, I think you just all, you know what I mean? Like you can take that you allow, I've seen you allow guys to vent and it, you know what I mean? It's, it's that part of the job.
1: It is, it is. You You try to let the emotion die down. Uh, in that one incident uh, with the first female angler in the Bassmaster Classic, uh, you know, I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, the ones that are really upset, they're out of this Classic. Yeah. You know, they're not focused on the fishing and the task at hand. They're letting uh, peripheral stuff get in their way. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, at, at the end of the day, they're customers so you have to let them have their say. And, uh, but, but again, it goes back just like college anglers compete against college anglers to qualify for the classic. And, uh, you, you mentioned the bass nation and, you know, you look at the, you look at the anglers that have come out of the nation, you know, I mean, you mentioned Brian Kershaw, but you look at Paul Mueller, what he's done and,
0: and, you know, Brandon Pollanick, so Brandon
1: Pollack, I mean, golly. And then, uh, you know Randy Pearson, Cody Holland, those guys. Uh, you know they've done a super job, and I'm sure I left someone out. But uh, Mike Iaconelli, he came out of the federation, so
0: yeah, he's the only one that has won everything. Iaconelli, and now now Brandon's actually trying to chase that down. And all that he's missing after his open win is the classic title. And man, he came close to getting it before. And you got to believe that it the likelihood is he's going to get that title eventually.
1: Absolutely. I, I would wager money in the next five years, Brandon Pauling holding up that most iconic trophy in the
0: sport. Did you ever, you know, seen so many things come and, you know, did, when I look at the things that happened with this sport in your time with Bass, it's, it's nuts. I mean, and simple, you know, sure everyone looks at live and all the things, but I mean, as simple as eight, tournament angler having the name on their back of their Jersey. I mean, <laughs> When you think about that now, it's a taken for granted thing. Like I'm sure you have your name in the back of your Jersey, but I remember it being a big deal because bass was forcing anglers to do that. Did, you know, have you ever put, you know, does, does it ever like shock on you that like, wow, we really, our little company made a, an impact in the time we worked at it.
1: I mean, if you look across, across, the broad spectrum of, of uh, tournament fishing, you see, you see jerseys everywhere. I mean, companies are selling uh, tournament jerseys, but, uh, you know, I go back to the days of, of, uh, 18 foot boats and a, and a maximum horsepower of 150. And when bass went out west and, and up the horsepower to 250. Yeah. Like that, a 150 became a dinosaur pretty much. So changes like that and changes in technology. I I was on a podcast uh, about two or three weeks ago, and then I was asked a question. They said, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you outlaw as term director, if you were still term director, would you outlaw uh, live sonar? I said, no way. I said, we had Spotlight come along, you know, and that was a game changer, and people – we're asking the question, would you outlaw that? But of course not. And now we have, uh, you know, forward-facing live sonar. And what's next? We don't know what's next, but, but uh, it makes uh, fishermen so much better. And uh, it makes the game easier for them, I think, if, if you know how to use that equipment. And uh, I think it's very intriguing and, and uh, really neat to see where this is going.
0: Was the Alabama rig, was, was that the the biggest controversy in your time, do you think? Like, as far as, I mean, not a day-long controversy was should somebody be DQ'd or whatever, but I, that was months. And that, I mean, I I literally, I bet you if you show up at tournaments today, there's certain anglers and we probably could put a similar list together that I know will corner you and talk to you about <laughs> different rigs that should be legal.
1: Oh, it was you know, when it came on the scene, when Paul Elias won the FLW tournament on Gunnersville, uh, it was a big, big topic amongst the elites. And, and the vast majority of them did not want it allowed because what happened was once Paul put it on the map and the, and the guys in North Alabama, all the tournaments, especially, you know, that happened in the fall, but the wintertime tournaments was where this thing was dominating. And uh, they felt like, you know, if if I don't throw an A-rig, I, everything else in my tackle box is no good. Yeah. You know, stuff like if I'm a, a proficient at, at flipping a jig or I'm a, a jerkbait uh, guru or, or spinnerbait uh, icon in the industry, you know, I, all of that's going away because I can't compete against these guys throwing an A-rig. Uh, it still catches fish. I'm not saying it won't catch fish. Uh, I think that has waned some over the years. Uh, I don't know if it's from again forward facing sonar mate, but that's that's so new on the scene. But I think just the fact that anglers are so good, uh, swim baits, which you you put yeah. on an a rig, people are so good with catching suspended fish on swim baits now and uh, other baits. So, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a hot button buddy there for a while. But it was for us, it was pretty easy because we, I think, we put it out for a vote and it was overwhelming. Uh, no A rigs. Now, the challenge of writing that rule, yeah, man, was a huge challenge. And and uh, it was uh tweaked a couple of times, but Dave Preck, uh, another hall of famer, you know, editor of Bassmaster magazine, uh, really, you know, editors are good at. <laughs> And, uh wordsmithing, and and he did a great job writing that rule and I see our rule copied in a lot of uh tournament organizations rules
0: do you in retrospect, do you think it's the right ruling and, I do. And this is- at the
1: time i do should it come should it be allowed now? I say maybe because I don't think it's as dominant as it was initially and and let me say this, the fish kid used to see him yeah. you know that. I, I we had a, I had a pond that and like a lot of people I had I had a two and a half acre pond. Those were the most educated bass I've ever seen. <laughs> and you could go down there when we first had a whopper plopper. Man, they they would smoke it. You know, just anywhere in the yeah. pond. And then uh, three months later, you can't get a bite a bite on one because they've seen it. And they're used to it.
0: Yeah, no. They. I. I sometimes I don't think we give fish enough credit. You know, same thing with invasive things. You know, you hear this species is going to wipe them out. This, you know, zebra mussels, gobies. They were all supposed to knock the Great Lakes out, and it seems like the fish figure things out and and they rebound. But one thing I have never figured out about you, Trip, is how you balance everything. I mean, everybody sees what you do on the stage with me, but I mean, you're org. You, Right down to approving anglers jerseys, anglers boats, wraps, organizing the meetings, organizing volunteers, dealing with stuff. I don't know how you handle it all, but I mean, you have to have seen some oddities and weirdness at all these different functions, meetings and things we attend throughout the year.
1: Well, yeah. First of all, it goes back to, I say, my biggest accomplishment, not really on me, but was the tenure of our staff. You know, we had a lot of 20 year people there and uh great people and and so you know the meetings are repetitious i do have a funny story we it has nothing to do with any anglers we uh we had a tournament in north alabama and uh before all this technology when you can register people now through text or whatever your anglers had to come to the meetings so i think yeah. it was the top 150 we were in north alabama and of course the co-anglers had to show up we have this long line out the door, people waiting for us to get started. And there's there's uh, elderly gentleman in the line, and everybody has a uh, entry form for liability purposes. They have to sign, and they come up to the table. And so this guy's been standing in line forever, I'm sure, with all the other people. And he gets up to the box, and our guy says, uh, "Your name, sir?" He says, uh MacLeod. So our guy's looking in the box under the MCs, and he said, uh, He's looking, looking, looking. He said, Mr. McLeod, I can't find a foreman here. The name is McLeod. Okay. Mr. McLeod, I can't find a foreman here. He said, well, you better. I got $250,000 in this outfit. So he looks and looks and looks, and finally the light clicks on with that guy, and he looks up, and he says, Mr. McLeod, are you in this fishing tournament? Fishing tournament? Hell, I thought this was a credit union meeting. <laughs> I can't tell it like I, he couldn't wait to come tell me that. I mean, I was I about spit up my tea laughing, but, uh, you know, things like that, you know, you see so much over, over the course of time and most of it I've forgotten, but some things stick with you and, you know, it was a great run. It was a lot of
0: fun. A lot of fun and, and trip. Uh, I don't think there's a bass fishing fan in the world that doesn't miss you, but also doesn't uh, wish you happiness uh, in your retirement tell me what what give me an update uh, before we let you go what's been going on in your world and what is retired trips life like
1: every day Saturday baby <laughs> but no I feel good Dave I, you know my cancer is in remission uh I'm getting my yes. stamina back I actually fished a tournament uh, right here on Lake Jordan uh, two weeks ago by myself which I would not have done two months ago and uh Had some luck, came in second, caught a lot of fish. But uh, going back to spot lock, you know, I'm 65 years old, so I I get tired, but I was fishing current, and I get tired, I just go up there and hit spot lock, and I go sit down on the back seat (laughs) and just fish away, man. It's so great. And uh, so just, you know, hanging out here at the house, I'm our Lions Club president now. I had to defer that a year because of our schedule, uh, we moved all of our tournaments to the fall, and yeah. I told them uh, I can't – it'd be a disservice to our club to be president, Look, not knowing I would get sick and be out all fall anyhow. So, But, uh, no, I appreciate you asking. I feel good and uh, looking forward to being in Fort Worth, man. The, the classic should be off the charts, you know, especially now with
0: the, all the COVID stuff relaxed. And uh, I'm vaccined. I'm ready to go, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks for everything, Trip, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you, Dave. Good to talk to you. Tripper is the best. I mean, uh, and and here's the thing that people do not take into account with him. I mean, you you see him weigh all those fish. You see him at the Bassmaster events. You think he's just some dude who you know is part of this. I mean, we're talking about a legit Alabama hemo. And and you don't have to take my word for it. I mean, you talk to guys like Swindle and stuff like that. I mean, Trip and Swindle used to room together. Um, so I mean, Trip, uh, happy fishing. We'll be checking back with him. I mean, that's uh, definitely not the last. You'll see if Trip see him around at the Bassmaster Classic, and you'll see him back here on this ridiculous little podcast. But how do you follow up, Trip Weldon? I mean, where do you go next? and 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 I'm proud to say man we are going to continue climbing up that mountain and the mountain is the Mount Rushmore of bass and uh, if there was a said Mount Rushmore of course Ray Scott would have to be on it but this guy would be right beside him on that Mount Rushmore and proud to be there right beside him um and this is a guy that I have such a special relationship it's weird you know there's certain people and maybe it's because of of what his voice means to me, maybe it's because of everything I grew up, you know, loving and, and, but from the very first day me and Bob Cobb met each other, we really have had this special bond. I mean, he's my uncle, Bob. He's an amazing man. Um, and not just for the things that, that we all love about him. He just is a really amazing man. And a man that I'm proud to call his friend and a man that I'm proud to call our next guest. Here on this crappy podcast, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Mr. Bob Cobb. We have done it. It is not just an intro. This is the man. This is the voice that really, I mean, Bob, what does it feel like to have a voice that just, well, makes people happy? Really? Never mind talking about it. Let me hear your voice.
2: For the Last Masters, this is Bob Cobb. I'm, uh, delighted to be here and face to face with the man, the MC of all MCs, Dave Mercer. Now you talk about a voice, you have a combination of a voice and animation that brings excitement to what at one time I thought was something that was about as dull as watching somebody weigh in fish at a grocery store. But you, (laughs) a man, you are the cheerleader And you bring excitement to the arena, and I do truly salute you because that's one of the most difficult jobs there is, particularly if those guys don't bring fish, you've got to tap dance through every
0: one of them. Well, I mean, I learned from the best. I'd say that the best of all is your running mate. Mr. Ray Scott. I mean, he was, he was, he's like I called both of you guys chicken that laid the egg. I mean, people like me are just trying to keep up to the pace that you guys set.
2: Well, thankfully, when Ray Scott laid it, it was golden. <laughs> and uh, it is hatched. And what Bass has grown to, the Bass Angler Sportsman Society today, is truthfully beyond my belief. And I think Ray would echo that too. It's, it's amazing what, what, the current Bass Organization is able to do uh, the tournaments, the magazine. James Hall's taken over the editorship of of Bassmaster, and it is a slick. I'm going to call it a book. It's not a magazine. It's a book. It's that quality, um, always, always. And you know, you'd think there's just just a limited number of of articles. And you'd have to massage them and recycle them, but these guys come up with new stories every day, and, and uh, I'm I'm amazed. I'm um, the Don Worth, the, the Steve Price, the Louis
0: Stouts, they're first teamers. It's incredible. But when you and Ray, you know, when you think way back, I mean, it's easy to say we never imagined this, but you had to imagine some of like how. I mean, you had to be laughed out of places really when you when you tried to sell the vision, no? Well,
2: they called Ray in the beginning Crazy Scott for his idea. <laughs> and it, it, it was to the point that uh, I understood that the Baptist Church in uh, Montgomery, where he was a member, was praying for him. His wife had asked that they pray so that he could get back to his insurance job, but uh, he didn't. He uh, put together an organization, and I think that, that one of the things that will be a lasting legacy, Dave, is the catch and release. It will. It, it is a future of bass fishing, and it was considered to be a no-no, but he bowed his neck even though after the first one and it was flying by the seat of your pants there that he even gave a, a bonus one ounce if you could bring a live bass in. That was at the Kissimmee River at, in Florida in 1972. And uh, the next tournament was at the Rebel Invitational at Ross Burnett. And Bass and Ray wanted to release the fish, but the Mississippi bass clubs had gotten to the governor and the Mississippi game and fish department. They weren't releasing fish. So they didn't want bass to do it. And uh race threatened them. He he said, well, you'd have to show up at the weigh-in with a baseball bat and hit them all in the head, or I'm going to let them go. (laughs) And, uh, that was a standoff. Avery Wood was a, as I remember, was the uh, commissioner of the game and fish commissioner there in uh, Mississippi. And, uh, Even Ray got face to face, and he told Ray, he he said, you're not releasing those fish. But overnight, they had a change of heart. But it was a kind of a bittersweet situation in that they did come with their their game. Their fishery people did come with a aerated live well truck, but they wanted to do a delayed mortality study. And this was mid-August, and they took them down the causeway there at, at Ross Barnett, about a mile and a half, and released them. The water was about two feet deep. There was no shade. The water temperature was, was probably in the, in the nineties, probably.
0: Yeah. And,
2: uh, his concentration type situation. Well, after, after they pulled the nets and let them out and they surveyed it, 25% of them swam off. So that was a moral victory. But if Ray hadn't no, have, hadn't no stood his ground and drew a line in the sand there on the shore of Ross Barnett. It would have probably never come about, but it is, it has been the one thing that has brought bass fishing to where it is now because of so many other people have gotten involved. And uh, the fact that I, I think it's his legacy, I think it's the legacy of, of bass and the future of bass.
0: I would agree. And, and if just to prove that point, I mean, the fact that you're saying that people are fighting against catch and release. At a time like nowadays, people get in trouble if you try to keep a bass. You know, there's there's arguments to be made that we maybe went too far in that direction. But to hear that it came from people, actual anglers trying to stop it is amazing. Why, how did you guys know? Like, how did you know that it was that important? Or, or was it Ray? Was it like when so many people were pushing against you? I mean, the obvious decision in most places in life is. I'll just go the direction they want me to go. Cause it's easier to do that. But obviously you guys didn't. Well, at the time uh, there was a growing anti-tournament
2: sentiment. Okay. And that was the vocal point. If you had a John boat there and, uh, with ice and bass laying in it, even though we would flay them and give them dutifully to, to charity, uh, people got to thinking that we were raping the lakes and killing all, all their fish. But, uh, game and fish to people uh, behind the scene were, were saying that hook and line couldn't, couldn't really impact the fishery, but it became an image. It became a PR problem. So in straightforward, yes, Bass recognized it. Array recognized it. And uh, it is, strangely enough, he had got his incentive from a trout fisherman. He had been invited to come and, and, and uh, serve as the MC for the Fly fishing of America group that was really? in Colorado, and uh, he uh, observed standing on the shore this fly rod fisherman hooked this this trout almost said bass this trout <laughs> and uh, worked worked it up and got his landing net out and then very carefully took his took his vice grips out and took the hook out worked the worked the trout and, and let it go. And everybody who was with him on the back started hollering and clapping and, and raising their hands and everything. And Ray just didn't understand it, it all that over a piddling little old 12 inch fish, <laughs> he, 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 uh, he just thought, well, you know, okay, okay. You know, but on, the, on later on a, on a trip back to, to, uh, to home in Alabama, he got to thinking and he said, if, if those guys would go crazy over a peddling foot long fish, what would bass anglers do? A bass, a hairy legged bass fishman release a five pounder. How would he react? <laughs> so that's where he got the idea of catch and release. It, it came as an actual experience. And then later he had a vision that he is certainly, certainly made a difference.
0: Amazing. Really? When you think uh, of the impact that that's had all around the world, um, it's incredible. But I have to ask you, and I don't think I've ever asked you this. I mean, I've asked you a lot of I don't know why you hang out with me. We have our little dinners and stuff, and all I do is ask you all these weird little fishing questions. But but I enjoy that we get twice. (laughs) What's that? You get the same answer twice. If you ask the same question. (laughs) But what was it like to work with Ray? And how did you like what was the chemistry between you guys? I mean, we've all seen everything you accomplished together, but give me an idea of what that office was like when it was just you guys. And when you're trying to build this,
2: well, the way I can put it, you better have your tennis shoes laced tight because you were running all the time. Uh, he, uh, he was an idea man and, and great visionary. And, uh, he would, he would have an idea and, uh, some of them worked and some of them were buried out behind the building, <laughs> but, uh, he uh, he's, 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 he's unique. He's, he is an all-American original. Think uh, Sam Walton and about two other entrepreneurs I could think of at the minute all wrapped into one out in a Walmart parking lot with a tent preaching, fishing, and anti-pollution that's kind of how, how it was. He was, he was, he was a motivator and a, it's, it's difficult to keep up with. So if he was all that, what were you, Bob? Well, I would like to say that when he wasn't sitting on the egg, I got to sit on it. I get, I helped hatch it. Uh, I, I came from a background. My background was, was, was outdoors. My, my granddad and my, my, my dad all all fished, but um, my passion was writing. And and uh, and I had a ex- time in newspaper and where I was the outdoor editor, and that's how Ray and I met. I was the outdoor editor Tribune, and in Tulsa, he held his first term at, at uh, Beaver Lake in Arkansas, and had a press conference, and I uh, I went over, and he attended. I'd called and and uh, and and said. Uh, your press conference is is not set at a good time, and he said, "What do you mean?" I I said, "Well, I work for the afternoon newspaper here, and your co- press conference is for noon." I said, "I'll have to read about it in the in morning paper the next morning." And I said, "Give me a break on what what you're doing." And he he's he listened a little bit, and, and he said, "Okay, I'll make you a deal." He's always okay. I'll make you a deal, and uh, he said, "I said, okay, what is it?" He's he said, I'll give you enough that you can get a story in this afternoon's paper and beat the world, but you've got to come and attend a press conference anyway. I said, okay. So I did and I went over and as he tells the story, he, he told us this idea about this bass tournament on on Beaver Lake and what it was going to do for fishing and yada, yada, yada. And then he, he there was a few people there, a few press people like uh, John Fleming from the Arkansas Gazette and Smokey Dacus from a local radio station. I remember there. And, uh, as Ray said, he, he said, they ate your the roast beef belched and left. And he looked <laughs> back in the back of the room and as he said, there was a guy sitting back there, uh, ruffling his hair and had a coffee cup in his real hand. He said, I walked back there and introduced myself. And, and I said, I'm Bob Cobb. And so, uh, we, uh, we sat and started talking, three hours later we were still talking. I had the same passion that he had. And when he, he got to the point that, that he needed some help, well, I, uh, I talked Barbara, my wife, into making a whale of a leap of faith. And we went from, from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma to Montgomery. And I had two years, Brett was two years old then and Leslie was four. And we drove down in the car and I shipped my bird dogs on air cargo. <laughs> I got to hunt with them one time after that. So that's how, that's how we hit the ground running.
0: There had to be times early on that you thought, what in the world have I gotten into? Well, when, uh, we arrived
2: at, at Bass headquarters or Ray's, Ray's office and pulled up on the street. There was an omen there. Across the street was a monument company and a, and the curb was lined with tombstones. It was the Montgomery Monument Company. And <laughs> you talk about a feeling <laughs> of 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 doom. So the front door to Bass a Ray's office was the back door down the alley. So I walked we walked down there and he knocked on the door and he took me down to where where uh, the office uh, for the editor of Bassmaster was going to be. And uh, it had previously operator in there had been an architect and the room was lined with, with shelves and luminous artificial lights there. And the only, there's two things in the room. Actually there were three things in the room. There was a proton, one was those elevating seats that worked perfectly because you could raise it to, to the level of that, of those shelves. Yeah. And, a, and Ray had got me a, a manual typewriter. I think he paid $55 for it. They were out of a pawn shop. And uh, the phone rang. And he, he said, that cardboard box over there is is my file for Bassmaster. He said, look through it. I got to go take this call. And the box was a pickle box. <laughs> and it said, Whitfield pickle. The pickle with the perfect pucker picked at the peak of perfection by particular pickle-picking people. Now repeat that. <laughs>
0: I, I'm amazed you repeated it.
2: So I dug into the box, and Dave, that's where it was. That's where the gems, the how-to, those things that, that fast fishermen had protected only to share with their closest friends or or be aware that what was there was not flowery pictures and and jerking perch in, in Afghanistan or something these flowery trips that you read in sports of field. This was real, real down to the boat level. How to information and uh, it, it it was was a goldmine, but it, it needed it needed a little bit of, of, of refinement. One sentence might run two pages, but you can take a look. You could take a few commas and, and a, a few things but did not not change it because you could see where whoever had written it and he was a bass his bass member where his coffee cup had stained the paper as he sat there and labored over it. There was this one one that I'll never forget and remember, Walter F. George was his name. He was from uh, Jackson, South Carolina. Uh, on his real his real job was which was a carpenter, I believe, or a bricklayer. But anyway, his his article that he had written, or story, was about how to select your fishing partner. And uh, he said his wife was the best partner you could get, and he explained it, that uh, she could back a boat, she was sure-handed with a dip net, and she'd clean the fish at the t- lime if you needed to, and in season, she'd turn the squirrels. Now, you... <laughs> You 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 folks up in, in in Canada, you might not know what we're talking about. But turning squirrels is it's is a two two hunter job. One's a shooter and the other goes around where the squirrel's hiding up on the limb, rattles a, a tree limb or something, and he comes up where you can get him in range or in sight. So that's called turning the squirrel. And she was good at it. Wow.
0: I mean I've got to talk to my wife about her squirrel turning <laughs> skills. Cause I think there is a saint, but, but she's a little weak in the squirrel turning department. If you know what I mean, Bob, <laughs> Oh, Bob, what, what I, I don't want to take much more of your time, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I mean, people are going to want you back. The, these will be the Cobb Chronicles or something before <laughs> we're through because Man, I know everybody feels the exact same way as I do. Your voice is entrenched in us. Your voice is, is, is it isn't a sound, it's a place. And it brings all of us back to that place. And, and, uh, and it's a very, very happy place. And, and I thank you for that, Bob. Not, not just as a friend, uh, not just as somebody who makes a living in the sport, but, but as a person that loves that place.
2: Well, Dave Mercer, there's a place in my heart for you, too. I I am thrilled that uh, you have filled some big boots, buddy. You, you do. You do. You make it happen. And again, I salute you.
0: Bob, I'll see you
2: soon. For the Bass Masters, this has been Bob Cobb. See you later.
0: Doesn't that voice just make you smile? It makes you happy. It just takes you to a different place. I mean, uh, thank you, Bob Cobb. Thank you, Trip Weldon. What an awesome, awesome show. I may not sell you erectile dysfunction pills, but I will sell you Bob Cobb's book. Make sure to check this out. The Bass Story, Unplugged by, of course, Bob Cobb. And uh, check that out. You can get that online. If you're at the Bassmaster Classic, you can get it from Bob Cobb right there. He will sign it for you. It's something worth owning if you're a bass fan. I mean, if you're if you respect this sport at all, you need to have that. Hey, Father's Day coming up. A great gift idea. And speaking of gifts, I get the gift of work this week. That's right. I actually get back, get to go back to work. I will be at the God willing. My mother used to say that. I mean, I guess she always figured the fall floor was gonna fall out. And it is true. God willing, I will be at Gunnersville. And God willing, We'll be back here next week, but only if you guys like, comment, subscribe, review, and do all that stuff. Because believe it or not, I know it's it's something you hear podcasts say, but it really does make a big, big difference. It it it, it it's really the only thing that matters. I mean, uh, we're all trying to become the freaking next Joe Rogan. Let's be honest. I mean, it, the worst word you talk about people saying that podcast is thirsty. We're all freaking thirsty. We're talking into a freaking zoom camera and hoping for acceptance so please accept me and be hit the like button hit the subscribe button and let's blow this up and buy bob cobb's book and god willing i'll be back here next wednesday thanks for watching please like
2: comment and subscribe because bob cobb of the Bassmasters
0: told you to you hear